word and through the spoken word we may behold the living word, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do please sit down. Today is also Racial Justice Sunday, which was something I only discovered when I was listening to the radio this morning. St Paul, in those letters, uh, that excerpt from the uh, first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, actually is doing something which fits with that, because one of the things that's tremendously important for people from different ethnic groups and backgrounds is to be able to own their history, to have it validated, respected, and for them to know where they've come from. And Paul is doing this in a different way, if you like, in a religious way, in the chapter 15 of Corinthians about the resurrection. He was very concerned that the church in Corinth knew where they'd come from and knew where they were going to. He's concerned that, there's, that you needed to hang on to the facts. He's concerned that people knew. And I remember this is, this is only about 30 years after the death of Jesus that, put, that Paul was writing this. Now, maybe a bit before, about 15 years after the death of Jesus, that there were witnesses around to the resurrection of Jesus and that there were consequences of not believing in the resurrection. And then he goes on to talk about the new reign of King Jesus, risen and, 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 sit, and with his Father in glory, what that should mean and what it means to the Christian today. Then right at the end of the chapter, he's got a bit about, well, what sort of body is this resurrection body to dispel a few myths? And it's quite remarkable, really, that just 15 years after the death of Jesus and God raising him from the dead, in the Christian community at Corinth, there were people who didn't believe in the resurrection. That's what Paul says. Some of you don't believe it. I'm astounded. Do you realize this completely undermines your faith? You may get all the benefits from being part of the church and you feel quite happy and fulfilled about it, but actually you've seriously taken away the struts from under your religion. The founding editor of what was then the Manchester Guardian, C.P. Scott, um, has, is quite famous for his saying that comment is free, but facts are sacred. And actually, in a different way, the American astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson has said the wonderful thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. Now, you could have a little debate about a difference between truth and fact, but we'll leave that on one side because that's not really relevant. But what they're both saying is you can't simply make up facts to suit yourself. And yet, you know, we live in a culture that politicians and all sorts of people seem to do precisely that. Boris Johnson's bit about Neil, um, uh, Keir Starmer uh, having not prosecuted... Um, What's his name? Um, yeah, yeah. Can't remember his name now. Jimmy Savile. Jimmy Savile, yeah. That was a complete invention. Donald Trump, of course, came out with complete inventions one after another. 
and you say something that's not based on fact. And what seems to happen in today's society is then a group of people seize on this and then start to sort of turn it into a demonstration or their reason for existence um, or their opposition to whatever's happening at the moment. It'd be tiresome to go into the bits of it because a lot of it's quite political as well. But you get it with some of the anti-vax demonstrations, you get it with some of the Scottish independence uh, movement um, tirades. But what it comes back to is facts are sacred. Now, it's difficult to get hold of them at times. It's difficult to be sure, and we have to acknowledge that, but you can't make up your own. In Corinth, surprisingly, there were people who would say, it just didn't happen. Well, it's a nice thought, but dead men stay dead. Dead men don't rise. There were some who said that. And there were others who said, well, of course, you've got to interpret this spiritually. It's his soul that goes marching on, a bit like John Brown's body, really. Um, his soul goes marching on, and all that he said and did infuses us uh, with the desire to follow in the work that he, he started. In other words, what we've got is a dead hero's society. It's not a risen church. And we have exactly the same situation in the world today. There will be those who say, just didn't happen. Don't bother me with any facts or any evidence you might have. It didn't happen. Or others, even within the church, who say, well, of course, it's a spiritual thing that you've got to, that you've got to appreciate, as it were, this sense, uh, this new life um, by being imbibed into the soul of Jesus. And Paul says, this is absolutely disastrous. It's disastrous because it makes your faith in vain. It's disastrous because it means you're still in your sins. And it's disastrous because it means that the Christian dead have perished. Let's go back to some of that. Your faith is in vain because the whole proclamation of the Christian faith throughout the, the years of the early church and all the missionary expansion of the church has been God sent his son to the world who was crucified and God raised him from the dead. And if that didn't happen, the whole thing falls apart. Paul expands much more, but particularly in the letters to the Romans, on the fact that you would still be dead in your sins. You would still be dead in the world where everything seems to be coming apart, where you do bad things and there are consequences, but it's impossible as we were to get out of this slough of despond, this mire in which the world has got itself. And Paul says the glory of the Christian message is because death has been defeated, all of that has been defeated. All of that negativity, all of that, all of that suffering, all of that dysteriology, all of that, if you like, idea that everything will just go wrong and run down and the world will get worse as we go on and not better. No, says Paul, because no, says Jesus. There's a new heaven and a new earth and God raises his son from the dead to demonstrate that that new life has started. That would have been absolutely astonishing actually to the Jewish community. Uh, it's not that they didn't believe in the resurrection. Some of them did, the Pharisees did. But the opposition, the Sadducees, didn't. They said, it didn't gonna happen. When you're dead, you're dead, that's it. You know, 
Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die. I don't think that the Sadducee would have actually said that, but that was the way of life that was implied. But for a Pharisee, they expected that God would come back and solve the problems of the world by a final resurrection at the end of time. What Jesus says is, hang on, it's now. You haven't got to wait till the end of time. God has broken into the world now, and it's because the Father has raised me from the dead that that new life is now possible. Those who have died in Christ will rise in Christ. That's the words of consolation for all who mourn those who have passed. We are not desolate. We do not simply have to make the very best of the very worst. We don't know quite what that body will be. We don't know quite what the new life will be. But we know it will be in Christ and that we will know as we are known. There was a film that was produced some years ago, Babette's Feast. I'm sure some of you have seen it. And it's the story of a Danish village in the probably late 19th century, very primitive Danish village, fishing village, um, that basically lived on bread and salt cod, because that's what their uh, long-dead pastor had taught them was the best food for them. And it was a fitting food for a Christian community. There was nothing extravagant about it. It showed their piety. But it was a very dismal setup. And they regularly would have a meal to celebrate the birthday of their dead pastor, who died some years before. But his two daughters held the memory of the pastor. And so they'd meet to have a meal, and they'd have the salted cod and the bread. And they'd tell stories about the pastor. The early church never met to tell stories about Jesus in that sense. They met to work out what the spirit of Jesus was telling the church to do next. And in Babette's feast, they break that. That pattern gets broken by a former resident of the village who'd left long ago and become a senior army officer, came, comes back to the village to share in that celebration. But in the meantime, a refugee has turned up in the village, a French refugee from the French Revolution that was happening at the time. And she'd come into an inheritance. She didn't actually tell them very much about it. But she said to the village, you've been so kind to me, you've taken me in, you've looked after me, you've given me food and you've given me lodging. Um, can I provide the meal in memory of the pastor? And after a bit of reluctance, they said, yes, yes, you can. The meal was absolutely sumptuous and superb. Dishes and supplies arrived from left, right and centre. And it was actually a picture of the heavenly banquet. The villagers at first wanted nothing to, much to do with it. They said, well, we, we can't enjoy this. This is not right. We let her do it, but we can't enjoy it. But after a bit, they started to realise they did. And that relationships between each other that had been difficult for years, started to thaw. There were reconciliation between people. They entered into the joy of Christian living that they had denied themselves because they'd been a dead hero's society up to that point. And that's actually what Paul would want for us, St. Paul, that in the defeat of death, that all of the things that come apart in the world 
will be made whole in Christ. He refers in a lot of places in, in, in the letter to the Romans to all creation standing on tiptoe, looking to see what the sons and daughters of God, as they come into their own and they live out this heavenly inheritance, how creation will also be redeemed. And at the end of the Bible, we find that in the book of Revelation, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, a newly created heaven and earth out of all that was, but now redeemed and made whole and perfect. We don't know exactly how it's going to be. St. Paul was quite clear about that. He said, don't ask me silly questions about what sort of body. It's going to be a spiritual body. It's going to be a bit like yours, but it's going to have the likeness that a pea would have to a pea plant or a broad bean to a bean plant or something like that. Like, but not identical. Holding on to the truth of the risen life of Jesus means holding on to the truth of our risen life in him, for we are in Christ. We've become part of him in his resurrection. We live in this world, one foot in this world, you can like one foot in the kingdom of God as well. And it's a difficult existence. It causes tension for the church, you know, living in a split situation like that. But it enables us to name the lies in society, to name the lies that, that death is nothing at all. Death is something. Death is absolutely shattering to people who lose a loved one. But it isn't the end of things. It's a stage in a journey. It also gives the lie to people who say life is completely futile. No. If you are in Christ, if you and I are in Christ, our lives cannot be futile. We might not discover clearly exactly what we're meant to be and how our life is meant to be, but we are in Christ. We do matter. We matter very deeply to our Lord and Saviour. Facts are sacred. Comment is free. But truth, of course, is to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is to be found in him in whom we are, in whom all of us are, which means that truth is to be found in our relationships with each other as well. As we move forward into our Christian life together, may we hold on to the resurrection truth of new life in Christ. Amen.